welcome to Love Work, Skills for a Relational Life. I'm Christy Gaysford and I'm here with my co-host, Jerry Sander. Hey, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Good. I really wanted to talk about this topic. Yeah, do you want to see what it is? Yeah. It's about emotional affairs. Are emotional affairs really infidelity? What are they? If they're not sexual, then what? Well, That's I actually I mean. looked up the um, the def- one of the definitions in case. Yeah, what did you know. find? What did you find? It says an emotional affair is when a person invests more emotional support into a friend or someone outside of their marriage than they invest in their partner. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's also when the person receives more emotional support from outside the marriage than they receive from a partner. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really good definition because that to me, that's when it crosses a line when you're not turning to your partner to get your needs met. They're going, you're turning yeah. to somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good starting point. Uh, for discussion, I and I think both you and I have experience with seeing and hearing this with couples, don't we? Yes, we do. Sometimes very painful. Mm-hmm. So, I think that's one of the big misconceptions about emotional affairs is that you know people say, "Well, it wasn't physical; nothing happened." Yeah, yeah, almost priding themselves on that. Okay, so S, I've been paying more attention to Esther Perel's TED Talk about infidelity. Um, and it, she called it Rethinking Infidelity. And she, of course, is the author of the book Mating in Captivity, which is a great book about the challenges of monogamy. And I started thinking about how emotional affairs are different than say just getting together with someone to talk about some interest that say your spouse um, isn't interested in. And for the sake of the conversation, I'm going to presume people are married. I don't necessarily presume they're heterosexual, but or at least it's a long-term committed relationship. If you're getting together with a friend who's really into bird watching and your wife or husband is not into bird watching at all, or the other person's into fishing and you're into fishing. Okay, these are like common interests that maybe your spouse or person you're with doesn't care about. And it's not really a big deal. It could be about stamp collecting. Like, who cares? This is stuff that would bore your spouse. Mm-hmm. But when you start getting into content that you would not share any longer with your spouse, that involve feelings um, that are accompanied by some kind of possible erotic tension. Mm-hmm. Um, as she calls it erotic alchemy, just a feeling like, boy, we would be good together, wouldn't we? Even if it's not acted on, um, it's a powerful new place. Also, just if you're taking the time with this other person to have an enjoyable encounter, the likes of which you don't take 
with your partner. Um, mm-hmm. These are things that make it different from talking about bird watching to me. Yeah, and I agree. And I think another real boundary violation is when you start to discuss your your relationship with your partner with this other person. You start exactly. to share problems in your current relationship and, well, my husband does this and it really drives me crazy. And, you know, you start to confide in the person and it feels disloyal to your partner. And it, it probably is actually disloyal because this conversation in the healthiest of relationships belongs with your partner, mm-hmm. you know, a dialogue about the ways that we are happy together and the things that annoy us. This is the kind of stuff that we promote in our couples therapy stuff and our boot camps, you know, acknowledging it's not so easy. But if you're taking that and exporting it and telling someone else who may have erotic feelings towards you about how hard it is in your relationship, what is it that's really going on? Right. Well, and it's very unfair. It's an unfair comparison when somebody that you work with can see you at your best and, you know, you're... You're charming, you're smart, you're funny, you're you're good at what you do, but they don't know what you're like at home. They don't know what <laughs> your, your closet looks like, what your bank account looks like, what your parenting's like, what your bad moods look like. And so they can make you feel like the king of the world, but really, you know, it's it's not fair. It's that's not real life. It wouldn't it wouldn't last, but you start comparing this person to your spouse. That's right. That's right. I I wrote down the reasons that people give for um, emotional affairs. Mm. Here's what I put together. They just listen. Um, We have things in common. Uh, Maybe we have recent losses, both of us. I've heard people say things like, well, she lost a parent and uh, I'm losing my parent right now. So we have that in common. Um, Maybe there's a discussion of children, you know, she's got two kids. I've got two kids. Uh, I've heard it expressed. The other person just gets me, you know, my spouse, uh, this other person just gets me Mm -hmm. or Better, better than your spouse. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or that um, maybe your spouse is going through a particularly hard time right now. And I'm going to try and accommodate that by leaving them alone. But that kind of leaves me emotionally stranded. So we've got this, this emotional connection with the two of us here. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, or just a general dulling in a primary relationship with your spouse. It's become dull, automatic, it's lost its excitement. But this sitting here in this little emotional thing does not feel dull. It feels, in fact, very exciting because anything might happen. Yeah, novel, exciting, 
they look at you differently, you look at them differently. And there's a real danger because suddenly this sparkly new person makes your partner look dull. And then ah, you start say more, talking. say more about that. Yeah. Well, your partner is like, Oh, that old thing that I've been with forever. And, and maybe you start to think, maybe you start to look for the bad in your partner to justify why, why you're doing this with this other person. Like, well, my partner doesn't give me what I need, so I have to get it somewhere. So it's okay that I share all this with this person at work, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, you're right about the, the person looking sparkly and, um, yeah, we've been, if you've been together with anyone for a long time, they don't always look sparkly, you know? They don't always look interested in every word you're saying because they're not. <laughs> well, maybe maybe they've heard your jokes 25 times. <laughs> they've heard your times. jokes. They've heard your stories. <laughs> they know yeah. what you're upset about. <laughs> yeah. They know your annoying quirks. They know annoying all your quirks. <laughs> annoying quirks that's exactly right you don't have to share them when you're in a new emotional kind of affair right right so esther pointed out a lot of these ideas i'm discussing are right from her so i want to attribute them correctly she okay. said that the actual sex if when it takes place may be uh, really good, or it may be not so good. It may be moderate, it might be ordinary, or it could be excellent, but it's not really about sex. It's about desire and feeling seen and valued and alive again. Mm-hmm. Having a new exciting connection with someone who seems to listen to you, value you, makes you feel young and alive again. Can I read something to follow that up? Sure. So uh, it says, these types of affairs, this is just online. These types of affairs can seem like a vacation from everyday life. You only get the best of this other person and they see the best of you. You do not see them 24-7 and learn about their bad habits and unattractive features. Your image of them is mostly based on fantasy and an idealized persona, which will certainly make this relationship very alluring. Even when such affairs do not cross the line by becoming physical, the impact can be just as damaging and puts your marriage in the danger zone. The intimacy involved in the emotional affairs can frequently have a degree of intensity deeper than a sexual affair because you are more emotionally invested. I like it. I think yeah, that's I mean, correct. Mm -hmm. I think that's correct. And um, I, I mean, we can talk about towards the end of this, does this doom a relationship or can you come bouncing back from this if one of you have has had an emotional affair because it could probably go either way. Um, Esther Perel's definition of an affair had three parts to it, that it's a secretive relationship. Mm -hmm. um, 
that's the core structure of it that is just, you know, secret. And that there's an emotional connection of some sort and there's sexual tension, alchemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the three parts to her, whether it becomes actually sexual or not. And the function of this to a person who say in a dull or troubled marriage is that it helps them feel, remind themselves they're still alive. They are still attractive, apparently, and someone still wants them. Mm -hmm. These are things that we see kind of sucked out of relationships all the time in long-term marriages that neither party feels that. They don't feel alive, they don't feel attractive, and they don't feel wanted. Mm -hmm. She considered it an antidote to death when people make a gesture in this direction, that you're trying to beat back deadness. And again, she says it's way, way less about sex than people think. And it's way more about desire. And the desires specifically she spoke of were attention, desire to feel special, desire to feel important. Mm. I totally agree. And I can see the big allure. I think it's, it's really important to acknowledge how much it's based on fantasy. If you took these into real life and you started having a real relationship with them, it, it they would turn into any other relationship. Right. But because they're kind of in this, like you were saying, this secretive, emotional, sexual desire state, you know, it is fantasy. And when it's fantasy, there's not, nothing can really mess it up and so it's easy to think it's something different than it really is but if you if you if you got out of that state and you just became say you broke up your marriage and you got together with the person eventually you'd have the same problems every other relationship has absolutely in fact you know i'm thinking of one one situation i knew where someone became infatuated in an emotional affair while he was in a bad, very bad marriage with, I think, three kids. And this new woman he was just entranced with, really smitten with this type of fantasy-based emotional connection. And when their marriage broke up, the original couple, he immediately asked her to move in with him Mm. with her two kids. Oh, And suddenly you had his three kids visiting her and him and her two kids who were angry about missing their father and real life intruded in dramatic fashion on this fantasy. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't so hot and sexy anymore. No, no, no. (laughs) So Esther said about this that if you if we and i don't want to put a bad connotation on fantasy i think fantasy can teach us a lot about what's missing what what's missing maybe that we once had or that we almost had with someone 
And then we got perhaps used to it not being part of our daily lives. So fantasy is not a bad word or anything. Mm-hmm. And she says, if we brought one-tenth of the boldness, sexual boldness and imagination and longing and verve that people put into their emotional affairs, one-tenth of that was put into the actual relationship with their spouse, no one would ever need to leave. Mm. Yeah, really, it's a wake-up call, if, I think, if you, if you find yourself um, thinking about someone else or fantasizing or, you know, it's take that energy back to your relationship and fight for what you what you're missing. Yeah. You might need the help of a therapist to do that. You might. But it's conversation that needs to be had unless you're going to reconcile yourself to never getting your real needs met in this lifetime. Mhm. She says that every affair And uh, I guess the question is, do these emotional relationships constitute an actual infidelity and an affair? And I think the the more I thought about it, yes, yes, I think they count as an affair. Um, Not all affairs are sexual. And the significance of it will be determined by the couple. She says that every affair redefines a relationship and that every couple will determine what the legacy of the affair will be, that there are marriages that are so wounded already that they are dying on the vine, and this one person seeking out someone else and feeling alive again suddenly and wanted and seen will help ruin the marriage completely and result in a divorce, that the marriage was already dead. That is a subset of the reaction. Others can take the relationship, what happened, and re-energize it in a really bold dialogue about how are we doing? What do we need? How can we make these better? I'm not saying this is going to be without some feeling. And she says, you know, the person who felt cheated upon may very often say, wait, you think I didn't have any desires for other people too? Right. But you acted on it, and you really hurt me. Yeah, I've I've heard Esther say that sometimes, for for women especially, sometimes the the affair is the catalyst out of the marriage. It's kind of mm-hmm. like that last straw that they needed to get out. But other times, it's it's the wake up call that was needed. It's okay. This is the end of your first marriage, so to speak. But let's from this place let's let's start part two of our marriage and really take that energy and fix what was missing and go forward and learn from it exactly exactly here here's a quote from her ted talk I, i i think what she was saying is that we make too much of just the sexual dimension of this um betrayals in relationships come in many forms There are many ways we betray our partner, she says. We betray them with contempt, with neglect, with indifference, with violence. Sexual betrayal is only one way to hurt a partner. In other words, the victim of the affair is not always the victim of the marriage. I look at Mm -hmm. affairs from a dual perspective, she said. 
hurt and betrayal on one side, growth and discovery on the other. I think that's a healthy way to look at it with hope that yeah. that you, you can use it as as growth. Um, but I do think emotional affairs can be every bit as harmful as sexual affairs because you lost the your partner's heart. They they really fell in love with someone else, and that can cause a lot of hurt. Yeah. Can you can you say more about that? You know that I fell in love with someone else. I mean, you know, sexual affairs can just be about the sex, and they and they they might not even have any feelings for them. But when somebody really loves them, says, "Yeah, I fell in love with someone else." I mean, the betrayal of knowing that your partner really loves an, a different person. I mean, that I think that can take take years to rebuild that kind of that kind of hurt and trust um and just the insecurity like yeah. thinking yeah. that they loved you and now being unsure like well what does that mean for me and for us if you love you know it's else? funny i heard that when you said that about fell in, i fell in love with someone else mm -hmm. i was talking about the spouse like you've changed so much i you're not the person i fell in love with uh, i i miss the person I fell in love mm -hmm. with. So I, I understand you were talking about the outside partner, but I'm thinking right. about even inside the relationship, where is the person I fell in love with? That person was attentive to me, was kind, you know, was courting me sort of, was yeah. thoughtful, made me feel seen and valued. And then that person went away. That's a betrayal. That's a betrayal. When we allow our marriages to become dull and dead, that's a betrayal as much as our partner sitting having these emotional things with someone else. Yeah, and it, it puts us at risk for emotional affairs if we're not putting that energy into each other that, that yeah. we always did and that we did in the beginning. Yeah, you know, I've told many a couple that, particularly when they have small children at home and they're knocking themselves out, both working and not talking and not connecting and there is no date night and sexuality is kind of dying. I just tell them that they're sitting ducks for an affair because yeah. they're both attractive and feeling... <laughs> neglected and misunderstood and there's going to be someone in their world of work who notices them and flashes a smile and and has some sexual alchemy right yeah and i think people that do work a lot um and work a lot and closely with the opposite sex are more at risk for developing it because the opportunities there me and my brother was saying the other day, I spend way more time with my my assistant than I spend with my wife because he's he's with her, you know, all day every day. And yeah. he was just That's kind of like his work wife, right? Yeah. And you can see how how you know you things could develop if you weren't careful with being with somebody constantly and how boundaries could be crossed if 
if people aren't really mindful and careful of, about it. Yep. Then, then maybe they uh, catch a drink after work and uh, ask each other, how, how are things going with your uncle <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah. And the next thing you know, what, what is this? This is the kind of stuff that should be happening within the relationship. Uh, and somehow it's okay to have not happen in the relationship. I mean, that's the part that's very interesting to me. Like, where are we? when our relationships are dying, um, when, when Esther says they're dying on the vine, some of these marriages, and of course, people are going to be drawn to affairs that make them feel alive. Are we really not seeing it? Are we just getting used to not getting what we want? I think, I think a lot of times people are just, in survival mode. They're just trying to get through the kids and the school homework, getting kids to sports, doing your work, your job, getting through dinner, bath time, bed, whatever. And they're in survival mode. And so they, they kind of don't pull their head up enough to, to look at the relationship and see what's yeah. happening until it's too late. I'm glad you mentioned kids because that seems to be a major factor that people start feeling, well, you know, we had our romantic years before kids. Now there's kids. I want to be a good parent. And that means putting the kids first. Unfortunately, that can mean putting the kids first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and then you go to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think... I think it's really important to check in with each other every single day. I mean, people. How do you say do that? Like, uh, how do how do you how would you recommend people do that? I mean, okay, so these are obviously every couple can't do this, but I think it's important to go to bed together if you can. I think it's important mm -hmm. to say, like, "How are you? How <laughs> yeah, are right. we? You know, how what are a we radical you? idea." <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's so simple, but it's so hard, right? Like sometimes we just don't do it. But I just think it's really important to touch, to cuddle, to get in yeah. bed together, to talk about your day. I mean, if if nothing else, if you can't see each other all day long, if you can at least end the day like that, you're, yeah, you're not being attuned. So yeah. Yeah. And I think I think technology has been a big problem in our marriages. I think People go get in bed and they're on their phones and they don't even yeah. talk to each other. They're not watching the same show even to laugh <laughs> together or talk about it. And and then they just go to sleep. So I think it's important to take the time to really say, how are you feeling? I agree. What do you need? What do you need? Yeah. What was it like being you today? <laughs> yeah. I like that question. <laughs> Yeah, uh, because these are the questions that someone's going to be sitting asking your spouse in an emotional affair. You know, they're going to yeah. be looking at them adoringly, thinking, oh, they are so cute and good looking. Let me ask about his or her day, you know, or what's, what's it like being you? And um, John Gottman, part of the Gottman method of working with couples is to encourage curiosity and question asking about things that couples really still don't know about each other. 
Like, can you really identify your wife or husband's three best friends? Mm-hmm. Um, do you know what their favorite books are? Do you know what their favorite music is? Do you know what they think about during the day? Do you know what That's they- exactly right. That's exactly right. We presume we know what our spouses think about. Mm-hmm. We don't. I mean, I so much don't know what it's like to be another person that I often, I almost always start my sessions by asking people, what is it like, what's it been like to be you this week? I really want to know. I don't want yes or no answers. I, I, I think we need that curiosity. If you have that curiosity, then the person's going to feel seen and valued, I believe. Yes, I agree. And we're going to keep seeing them as a changing person. They're not just going to be like, oh, that person who I've been married to forever and, and they're still the same. Like we continue yeah. to evolve as humans. And if, we, if we're still curious, we're going to see our partner evolve and change too. And it's going to be stimulating to us. Yeah. More stimulating than just a bright, shiny object of a new person, bright, sparkly person. That's, that's like eye candy stuff. But really, really getting knowledge of one other person whom you're sharing all your stuff with, that, in my opinion, can't be beat. You know, um, my brother said this to me like years and years ago, but I always remembered it. He said, I know my wife would never have an affair. And I said, how do you know? And he said, because nobody will ever treat her as well as I do. Hmm. And I've, I've always thought about that because why do we have affair? Why do people have affairs? Mm-hmm. And usually it's all these things you're saying, like people make you feel exciting again. And mm-hmm. but if if you if your partner makes you feel good about yourself and excited to see you and interested in your thoughts, and it's they're going to be a lot less prone to seek it elsewhere. I agree, a hundred percent. I saw a quote from an Imago manual um, that's Harville Hendricks's type of couples therapy. He, he said that it's not about finding the perfect other partner. It's about becoming the perfect other partner. Mm. I, I thought that was really a wonderful challenge. Esther Perel says that infidelity shatters the grand ambition of love. And I like that she used the word ambition. It's ambitious. It's like a tall mountain to climb. And it's worth climbing, but it's not easy. Well, I also like the word shatters because I've, if there's, there's no better word to describe what happens when people find out they have been cheated on. It yep. shatters their whole reality. What they thought they had, the life they thought they had, the marriage they thought they had, mm-hmm. it really is shattering. And where there's crisis, there's opportunity. And there's people like you and I, Christy, to help people with this stuff too. Yeah. Yes, definitely. And people, I've been really amazed what people can work through. I mean, mm-hmm. they really can and come out stronger than before because they've mm-hmm. really had to look at things. Mm-hmm. And it is up to the person who strayed 
to create a sense of security and protection around the couple again and to bring it up to be the one who brings it up mm-hmm. and um and and not leaves it to the partner to suffer in silence or endless questions or anything like that it can be the first day of a new marriage um she says esther says that most people will go through two or three relationships and uh, if they're lucky it'll be with the same person Mm -hmm. i like that a lot Mm -hmm. and it is our responsibility if we're not getting our needs met to go to our spouse and talk about it we can't expect them to read our mind and we can't it's not fair to go somewhere else and complain about it when we haven't gone to our partner and asked for it and you and i have seen over and over again it's hard to ask our partner for things it's hard to say, I don't want to go to your mother's for Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tough, you're going. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> it's hard to talk about that stuff or buying a new uh, garbage can. Why do we need a new garbage can? The old one's fine, you know? It's hard to talk and be understood while still feeling cherished, you know? When you're trying to yeah. do a lifestyle together, maybe you have kids. I had one guy who was in the session having pop-up things happen on Zoom on his computer, like, oh, Cub Scout meeting. Oh, yeah, I got to do this. Oh, that. You know, it's like, it's hard to feel cherished when you're just navigating through so much busyness. And that's why emotional affairs feel so appealing. You don't have to navigate through Cub Scout meetings and new garbage cans. It's just being You know what else? I also think... um, when you're when you're talking to your partner, when your partner's talking and sharing feelings and emotions, um, I what I see this a lot in session. It's easy to start to take it personally, like if somebody says, "I'm really overwhelmed and I don't feel like I have any support and I this and that," then the person's like, "You're saying I'm not supportive. You're That's saying right. I'm not." You know, you take it personally, and. Um, in affairs, it's not the case, right? It's like, oh, my wife's just not there for me. Oh, oh, that's so sad that she's not supportive of you. Like, right. I'm so supportive. And that's so, right. <laughs> there's the I would team. be, I would be so understanding and supportive of you. <laughs> totally. Even yeah, when you leave your happened. junk all around, you know. <laughs> And the place is a mess. I would be still so charmed and supportive of you. <laughs> yeah, it's so unfair. <laughs> the whole setup. <laughs> yeah, but, these yeah. are all stories we tell ourselves. You know, this is part of the the myth, uh, the unicorn myth of there is someone out there who is so right for me. They can read my mind and always adore me. You know. Yes. Yes, that the, the what Terry Real calls that that um the divine, the um the fantasy of the divine, that spouse yeah. that meets every need and doesn't exist. Yeah. It's what in country music they call that a honky tonk angel, you know? Just <laughs> yeah. like like a little down and dirty when you want them to be and then just like really nice and cleaning up the place and reading your minds and staying out of your way when you need them to be. It's completely like sexist nonsense, 
but this is how childish we get with our fantasies. You know, the women have their own version of um, honky tonk angels, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. A man that will listen to every, every emotion without getting overwhelmed or defensive. (laughs) 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 And we'll just intuit, intuit your mood, right? Yes. And, and make room when room needs to be made. Just And, and also just make comfort. dinner. Yeah. Yeah, don't dinner. solve anything. Yeah, just. And, and kind of clean up the place without being asked and load the dishwasher the right way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Well, we can all dream, right? Right. But I, I do think I do think this is an important topic, and I think one thing we didn't mention is there's a lot of ways to have an emotional affair now because of all the um, kinds of technology. Yeah, just seeing Facebook, Instagram, um, so many things I don't even know. But there's yeah, so I, many. I I think that's very honest, Christy. That w- how each couple would define. Um, kind of straying, there's no unanimous definition. Um, Is it a text sent to someone? Is it watching porn? Is it whatever? I don't think the same rule necessarily applies to all people and all couples. But the rule of needing to communicate openly and honestly about getting your needs met does apply to all couples. Yeah, and I think one of the things of the infidelity is the secrecy. So are you yeah. hiding it from your partner? And if you are, that's probably a good sign that it's a it's an infidelity. Esther says it's never been as easy to have an affair or an infidelity, and it's never been as hard to keep it private. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is so true. How many times have you had couples that – somebody's text popped up on the family iPad or yes, I've <laughs> right. heard about the family iPad a lot, a lot or the watch. Oh, they were charging their watch <laughs> and the text popped up. Or, there's just so Why many am I laughing? Now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then there's like all these private apps. I don't know what they're called. Yes. I'm not the yeah. expert on this, but people get these private apps so that their partner doesn't know that they're texting and, yeah. Now, you know, I don't uh, want to make the assumption that this every, every couple shares the same values about even monogamy. You know, there's polyamorous people and there's been, um, I, I was using a clip in class from Joe, Joseph Wynn. Remember Joe Wynn did the presentation at the couples conference about queerness and queer theory and oh, yeah. not make not making assumptions that in the gay community it's the same kind of values as in the heteronormative stuff with couples. There, it's entirely fine for a couple to decide different rules about what they consider um, cheating. Uh, it doesn't have to be the most conservative, traditional marriage-oriented rules. But the key thing is: is it open and honest, and the person still feeling seen and valued? And that's, that, I think, doesn't vary. Yeah, and the interesting thing, I, I think they said this in the conference too, but no matter, so much of cheating has to do with 
breaking rules and secrecy that even open couples that have polyamorous or open marriages Mm -hmm. will still break the rules sometimes. Yeah. I heard, I don't know where I heard about it. Well, someone in class told me that amongst polyamorous people, one group of people they knew, they knew someone who was in like a threesome or something, one person was outraged because their partner watched a Netflix show with the other person, that that was cheating. Like, I am the one we watch the Netflix shows together, not the other person. Why did you dare watch that episode without me? I I could see that, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like having sex with that person. Okay, that's fine. That's our agreement. But watching Netflix? Come on. (laughs) Well, good topic, Christy. And maybe we should do even more about technology and then the challenges that are posed by it. Yeah, I mean, I think they're kind of endless. <laughs> the ways. We continue, yeah, we continue to learn. We learn from our clients. We do. Yes, I learn every day from my clients. So, but I learned uh, about their resilience too. So I think that's a good thing to say at the end here that no matter how people have been hurt and cheated on in all the different ways, People are also very resilient, and they work through a lot of things, and they're stronger. I like it. All right, I'll see you next time, Christy. Okay. Good talk. Yes, thanks, Jerry.